gun. I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm going to start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. They made soup out of my research See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. When good luck is a long shot, you have to hedge your bets. Hello and welcome to uh, <laughs> Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, the only podcast that I'm aware of that's about Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Paul W.S. Anderson. You know, I'll I'll get I'll, I'll get that down. It's kind of a mouthful, but uh, we're on episode three right now. I feel like by episode six or seven, I'll be able to say that a little bit more succinctly. Right. Anyway, my name is Eric Keppel, and my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Welcome to Vegas. Ching 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 ching. Slot machine sound effect. Slot machine sound effect. Cards uh, shuffling. Did someone say blackjack? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a uh, I'll take a whiskey neat, please, while I'm gambling it here at the poker table. Uh, hey, it's me, Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. um, we talked. I was just about to ask you how you feel about Vegas, but we we already talked about we well, talked about that on uh, the, the casino episode, which. If you want to hear our thoughts on Vegas, sign up for that Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. And uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing Mafia Month. We're, we're, we're about to record an episode on the hit film that I definitely knew existed before we started this, <laughs> Hoffa, Hoffa with <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Hoffa, uh, Jack Nicholson, or as I like to call him in this movie, Nose Jackson. Nose Jackson. Uh, yeah. Directed by Danny DeVito. Great, great times over there. We're gearing up, Jeremy, for the uh, October. I'm really excited for October. October, it, I feel like, is the best month to subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, oh, for sh- absolute sure. It is a wild time over at the Patreon when we are going through our Halloween month, our scary, spooktacular month. That's, I mean, our the soul of our show is very much. Uh, a horror film podcast, I believe. We started chatting about Chucky and did Ari Aster's films, Final Destination films. For a while, it was all thrillers, horror films. David Lynch, I would even consider to be somewhat of a horror film guy. And Stanley Cooper oh, yeah. directed The Shining. So deep down, we really love horror films. That's sort of our bread and butter. We're very much out of our element, out of our depth here with Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and W.S. Anderson. <laughs> but over at the Patreon... Oh boy, it, it it's like two master craftsmen who are painting a be- or or blowing some beautiful glass, some beautiful stained glass for a cathedral. That's what it's like, except comedy and uh, behind a paywall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you're you know if you're ever gonna thinking about signing up for the Patreon, now's the time to do it. Uh, you know, we're going to do, uh, we have to do an episode on Hubie Halloween. I mean, Absolutely. what is it like? Four, like 20 days left until Hubie Halloween is out. I can't wait. 17 days, I believe. We're going to do we're going to do another installment in the Halloween franchise and then who the hell knows? We're 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 open to suggestions, but only from those patrons. Right. You can't tell us to cover a movie and then not pay to listen to it. It just it it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, we'll scream. Don't do it. We'll, we'll scream <laughs> yeah. at the top of our lungs. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about everything got going on in October. But, you know, Mafia Month ain't no slouch. Oh, no. Oh, it's no. It's been going pretty well. Um, with the exception of Hoffa, we'll see. Find out, uh, <laughs> we'll find out when you get to the Patreon. Yeah, yeah, uh, we've been doing some of the less obvious mafia, right, mafia movies. Right. So, and have you know. we paid dearly for that? Find out on Patreon. You have to subscribe. Possible. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. Today though, we are talking another Vegas movie. A movie set in Las Vegas. Hard Eight. Paul Thomas Anderson's first film. His freshman film. Uh, yeah, this I, is I, our. I, I was shocked to remem- to rem- remember that it was in, in Vegas, that it took place in Vegas. Because after doing Casino, uh, I'll admit, Eric, I was a little Vegas out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you watch the Hangover movie every night, the first yeah, one every yeah. night. I watched the third one to fall asleep every night. I, you know, the movie I actually have been I've been using to fall asleep recently is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Have you seen that, Eric? I have not for a long time though. Yeah, it's a good one. Classic. Classic film. Been watching that to fall asleep. <laughs> it's Yeah, great movie. I've been watching it to fall asleep every <laughs> night. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, classic. It's, it's a really deep character study, which I just completely fall asleep to immediately once it turns on. Um, yeah. But no, I, uh, I, was, I was shocked going back through Hard Eight. Shocked. Yeah, have you seen this film before? Yes. So, and I was shocked at how much I didn't remember about this movie. Like, like for example, what the movie is about (laughs) and what happens (laughs) in it. I didn't remember any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a weird feeling going back through Hard Eight. Had you seen it before? I had. Yeah, probably in 2015 when I I worked at the library in college. I, I took. Full advantage of the DVD selection over there. I, mm-hmm. I went through all the PTAs. Um, so, yeah, this is our first. Uh, we're kind of going, if this is your first time listening, we do a Paul W.S. Anderson, then a Wes Anderson, then a, then a PTA, uh, on and on until we're done. Uh, until we have, like, six Paul W.S. Anderson movies left over, then we'll do all yes, of those. Yes, perfect. And we'll hit those uh, uh, at rapid fire. We'll do one episode for all six of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm down. Uh, yeah, so, Jeremy, what's your... Uh, how do you feel about Paul Thomas Anderson? You like him? Have you seen a lot of his movies? Well, t- tell me about it. I, you know... I was going to try to think of a joke answer and couldn't come up with one fast enough. So I guess I'll just give a real answer. Uh, I think he's great. He has kind of over the years been my favorite director. And then I've kind of backed down from that and then, you know, rediscovered him every five years or so. I probably rediscover Paul Thomas Anderson and go through all of his movies and sort of, you know, decide he's my favorite filmmaker of all time again. And then I kind of will get preoccupied with another filmmaker. But, you know, he's never too far from my mind. For a long time, the movie Magnolia, his uh, his third film, was my favorite movie of all time. And then I kind of went back on that a little bit. You know, it, it, he's I, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's all he, since I started becoming a, fi- a film fanatic, he's always been a part of my journey. 
Like he was, uh, you know, anytime he has a new movie coming out, it's incredibly exciting. It's like a huge event. Uh, I don't think, with the exception of Inherent Vice and maybe this movie, I don't. I think most of his films have deeply emotionally resonated with me. So, like, meaning that when I walk out of the film, I'm I'm in some way kind of changed for a lot of his his films. I think he's a very powerful filmmaker. I had the uh, rare opportunity to. Back when, way before COVID, this was, I guess, I guess maybe 2018. Yeah, maybe back in 2018, I had a chance to go watch uh, the Phantom Thread at uh, some, I think, the Ace Hotel downtown LA with a live audience, and it was an orchestra was there. Oh wow! Per- performing, and who announced the film? But PTA, my man, and. Uh, Johnny Greenwood, the composer, nice. the guitarist nice. for uh, Radiohead, famously, uh, scores his films now. It used to be John Bryan back in these days, and now it's um, Johnny Greenwood. I, I, I don't have enough nice things to say about Pete Paul Thomas Anderson. I wish he would put more people of color in his films, honestly. <laughs> but other yeah. than that, um, yeah. I don't really, I don't really have a lot of... Uh, Wes Anderson gets that criticism a lot too. He, he deserves it. They both are, yeah. They both, if they have a, a person of color in their film, it's like one person. I think Wes Anderson actually might be getting better at this. Taking like just from watching that trailer for the French Dispatch or whatever his newest film seems like it has a lot of people of color in it. But yeah, definitely not like anything we're gonna cover here on on this show. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, it's weird. This film has um, Samuel L. Jackson in it, but Samuel L. Jackson is a crook in a and gets you know killed. Spoiler alert! Yeah. And uh, and then you have the character in Boogie Nights, who is um, played by Don Cheadle. He's uh-huh. uh, and then that's it. I think. <laughs> I think that's it for like uh, you know people of color in his like main cast. Um, so, so what, so what's your, what right now, what's your favorite PTA movie and what PTA movie are you most excited to revisit? Oh, that's a great question. My, I think my favorite PTA film, uh, is probably, Oh man, that's such a, that's too hard. I'm realizing how hard that is because there's two. Oh yeah. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, maybe I'll say the, I'll say right now, the one I'm most fond, I have most fond memories of is the master. Oh yeah. Uh, that's probably one of my favorites. And the one I'm definitely most excited to return to is Magnolia because you know, that, that film has some problems, I think. Um, Hmm. but it, it just like impacted me so deeply when I first saw it. Uh, that I don't know if I'll be able to watch it, you know, with uh, fresh eyes. I think it's. I think nostalgia is going to completely take over, and I'm in. So I'm interested in rewatching that one for sure. But I mean, it, just like Wes Anderson, you, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film is the one I saw last. To be honest, gotcha. Um, it's because I just I think I think stylistically, it's everything I want out of a movie. 
all of his choices I think are great. What about you? What's your history with PTA? Um, I've only seen the music videos he the Heim music videos he directed. <laughs> Never seen any of his movies. Just a big Heim fan. Yeah. Uh, that's a good place to start. No, those are those are those are actually really good. Those are uh, good. I've yeah. seen a couple of those. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, big fan. It's kind of like I get what you mean. You're. It's kind of like uh, when someone asks you who your favorite director is. It's almost like an obvious answer to be like you know Paul Thomas Anderson. Or, you know, like he's kind of like undeniably great. Uh, I think my entry point was probably Boogie Nights in high school, and then. I was around, uh, let's see, There Will Be Blood came out when I was 18, so that was the one that, that all of my friends and everyone was freaking out about. Um, so I got into There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood is honestly probably like my fifth or sixth favorite. It's it's down there for me, oh, but really? I do love it's, it. It's down the list. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always loved Magnolia. Uh, I think I've seen all of his films. There's some. There's some shorts that we 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 should consider doing bonus episodes on. Well, and uh, his music perhaps. videos. I think he and brought his up music a, a good point that he did. He did a pretty long one with Radiohead recently. Oh yeah. Um, that we oh, should yeah. probably watch because, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely part of his filmography in a way. You know, it's, it's yeah. definitely part of his body of work, uh, just like how I think we should cover a lot of Wes Anderson's commercials, because I think those those very much live and breathe as as part of his body of work, too. And I think those right. are really great. So, we, yeah, definitely we should do some think about doing some bonus episodes for those. Uh, favorite PTA movie at this point? Probably Punch Drunk. Oh, um, Punch Drunk. Yes. Uh, the Master is a very close second. Yeah, um, I love the, I love that for you, Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk yeah. is one that doesn't get a lot of credit. I think people have tried over the years to to give that movie some sort of cult following, and it just really hasn't ever been a big deal for people. I think, I, at least in my circles, like I, most people I know haven't even seen Punch Drunk Love, or and if they have seen it, did not know it was a PTA film. Yeah, it's kind of it's. I like it a lot. It's it's I I, it. I, it's sort of like Paul Thomas Anderson doing. Uh, film nerds are going to be like, "This is a lame comparison," but like <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson doing a sort of like not uh, content what like related to content at all, but sort of like a requiem for a dream ish kind of thing, or like a machinist kind of thing. Like mm. it's a little bit more like psychological than than his work. The Master too. Um, so I like those two a lot. Yeah, Um, it's a good point. The Master, Punch Drunk, and Inherent Vice have deep-rooted psychological, like, consequences in those films. Like, those films are, like, kind of about people going crazy, and he sort of portrays that visually by having things sort of not make sense, or maybe there's a question at the end, what was real, what was not. That's, uh, that's kind of a weird... A weird departure. Those are like weird little departures for him. Um, Inherent Vice is the one I'm most excited to watch again. I I just, man, I did not. I felt bad about how much I didn't like it the first time I saw it. (laughs) And I, it is a difficult movie, especially when you haven't 
Well, I mean, I haven't watched it since I read the book, but I read the book recently so I could understand the movie better when we watch it. Do you think it's going to help? I think it's going to help. It actually helped me. The movie helped me understand the book, and I think it's going to like work. I think I I, I think it's going to be a good. Uh, it's good. It's that's, it's. If you have access to that book, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say like go out and you know buy a brand new copy of it, but if you have access to it. It's worth cracking open and at least because uh, Pinchon's great. Pinchon is uh, this is the first Pinchon I've read, and you kind of realize just the the style uh, in which Pinchon writes is kind of what PTA is doing, like cinematically, and it's it's kind of it's weird when you don't get that. Like it, it, it's just very it's a strange kind of. It's a strange movie, so I'm excited to see if the if reading the book actually like enhances it for me and makes it better. Because I think mainly I didn't understand what the hell was going on during mm-hmm. a lot of it. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know what was going on, and to be honest, didn't really care what was going on when I was yeah, saw that that's film. The thing. It, it was sort of like a bad a bad version of fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of yeah, like a, a not fun version of that. But well, what's interesting is when I'm, uh, when I was reading the book, I was like, this could have, could have been like a very, you know, artistic, uh, cinematic, uh, you know, film like, like PTA did, or I could see that book being just like a slapstick comedy starring, you know, John C. Riley or someone like that. Right. It's it's a very funny book, and I don't I don't know. It, it'll be interesting, but uh, yeah. So that's my history with PTA. A uh, little bit about the guy born in Studio City. Dad was an actor. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't think like a super successful actor. I didn't. I don't remember seeing. Well, he was a radio guy. Hmm. No, was he radio? Oh, okay. He did like voices and stuff. I think. Hmm. Uh, PTA started filmmaking young age. He made, uh, so as a high school senior, he wrote and directed the first real production using money. He earned cleaning cages at a pet store. (laughs) Uh, the film was a 30 minute mockumentary called the Dirk Diggler story about a pornography star, uh, which, you know, later birthed, uh, boogie nights. Right. Uh, Began working as a PA in LA and New York. Uh, after a few years at college, decided to make a twenty-minute uh, film. Uh, for ten grand, he made uh, he made from gambling winnings. I guess this. I guess he was like a bit of a gambling guy and he a card was. Oh, um, really? So ten grand made up from gambling winnings, his girlfriend's credit card, and money his father set aside for him for college. Anderson made Coffee and Cigarettes in 93, uh, a short film connecting multiple storylines with the $20 bill. The film screened at the 93 Sundance uh, Shorts program. Uh, He has since expanded it into a feature-length film that was uh, invited to the 1994 uh, Sundance feature film program. So I believe that's Hard Eight. I think that's Hard Eight that we're, we're talking about here. Uh, so while at the Sundance feature program, uh, Anderson already had a deal with Reicher Entertainment to direct his first full length. Uh, Sydney retitled Heart Eight. Oh, okay, so Heart Eight is different than the Coffee and Cigarettes one. Yeah, Coffee and Cigarettes we can... is weird because it's like, didn't Jarmusch make a movie called Coffee and Cigarettes? He did. Yeah. 
So what up with um, that? I wonder if we can get our hands on the feature length coffee and cigarettes if he made one. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was shown. Uh, let's see. Anderson managed to get the version released, um, but only after he retitled the film. So there's some weird stuff we'll get into with uh, the release of, of Heart 8. But uh, yeah. So any is there any like interesting facts about Paul Thomas Anderson that you know about? About Paul Thomas <laughs> Anderson, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, infinite amounts. So we could go on about the guy forever. I mean, he's infinitely interesting. Uh, dated Fiona Apple famously during the making of uh, Magnolia. Now is married to Maya Rudolph, and they have children together. Did, did Fiona Apple ever get those bolt cutters? By the way, I I I don't know. You know, I'll text her, and maybe by the end of the show, she'll uh, she'll respond and let me know. Okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, he's 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 great. I love I love a director like PTA who works with a uh like a company of actors almost. It's like a uh. Uh, a short list of people that he'll pull from. Yes, and, and be like in, the best right. actors imaginable. In, in the world. And, you know, it's it's so interesting watching these early works of his because even though we know them today as the best actors of all time, they weren't always necessarily considered that way. Like, for example, Philip Seymour Hoffman was just a struggling guy. He'd never really been in a movie before. Uh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley, same story. Philip Baker Hall, uh, another regular for him, uh, would be someone uh, in the uh, the likes of Julianne Moore. Um, mm. Maybe, uh, maybe have you ever heard of Daniel Day Lewis, uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Uh, these are all people that he'll use multiple times, again and again. And uh, all uh, you know, that's uh, he's like Wes Anderson in that way, you know, like pulling from a. Uh, from like a company of, of people that he trusts and he likes William H. Macy being another one. Um, he, yeah, I think uh, if you're, if you're at all a fan of Los Angeles or if you're listening in LA or if you're from the Valley at all, then you'll definitely appreciate, I guess all these films, right? Like uh, at least in, up through Magnolia, maybe yeah. up through punch drunk love. You know, it's it's only when he kind of starts making period pieces and departing from his L.A. roots do you start to, like, expand outward. But for a while, everything kind of takes place in L.A. You know, there's very, there's, like, landmarks in most of his films. It, it Yeah, he's, and, and we'll talk more about, like, him as a person and him as a director. and Yeah, we'll get him on. We'll get him on the We'll podcast. get him on the show soon, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're gonna have him on the Mortal Kombat episode. Right? To talk yeah, about yeah. It would Paul be Paul W. Funny. S. Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> it would be funny <laughs> to interview Paul Thomas Anderson about Paul W. S. Anderson. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Heart Eight. Uh, oh, by the way, Moose Minute. Quick one today. Mm. Uh, the Moose Minute is a is a is a section of the show where I update everyone on my uh watch of uh, first time watching Northern Exposure. I'm just started season four, Jeremy. All I got to say is, let's get Adam back. Haven't seen yes. Adam in a couple episodes. Favorite character. Let's get the guy back. This has been the Moose Minute. <laughs> now on to Heart Eight. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, uh, okay, so 1996 crime film uh, written and directed by PTA. 
obviously his feature directorial debut. Um, stars uh, Philip Baker Hall, John C. Riley, old Gwenny P., Gwyneth Paltrow, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, the film, originally titled Sydney, was Anderson's first feature and was the expansion of the short film. Oh, so it was the expansion of the short film Coffee and Cigarettes, or Cigarettes and Coffee. So whatever I read earlier must have been worded weirdly or well, something. Well, I, I mean, just in the sense that these characters are from that section, like from a section of that movie, like Philip Baker Hall mm. and John C. Riley. I think they did basically that that scene we see in the beginning of the film, from what I understand, is um, kind of what they did in uh, Cigarettes and Coffee. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half stars out of four, writing, movies like Heart 8 remind me of what original compelling characters... The movies can sometimes give us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Man, the, yeah, this movie is all about character. You, you just get to see, like, just a bunch of really well-defined characters played by incredible actors. <laughs> right. Shot very well. Yeah. <laughs> I love this movie. And it's so it's so uh, simple. You know what I mean? Like, right. you, you think back at, like, like, a lot of the scenes kind of go on for a while like it's it's i think it's shy of is it two hours it might be two hours but it's uh it's uh, close to two hours and you kind of uh you think back on what all happens and it doesn't seem like a lot because you just kind of like exist like every single scene feels like it's important and you're getting something new out of it and you kind of exist in these situations for a while and it's, yeah. it's great it's actually better it's actually just a uh, 10 minutes over an hour and a half so it's about an okay. hour 40 minutes which i think is you know, right for the film i don't think it needs to be any longer than it is that being said i think you're right it doesn't feel like a lot happens in this movie and i might be a little harsh on this movie than you it sounds like you're you're a bigger fan of it than than i might be uh i have I, some criticisms yeah but, uh, i definitely yeah. think that the movie for me i i like this movie I don't know if the movie works necessarily for me, but I do I do appreciate it for its moments. And again, there is something about the way that he shoots stuff, especially that in this era that is like I'm always just going to like by default. Mm. It's like the way he deci- the way he moves his camera is very reminiscent of like Robert Altman. Me and Ravi, friend of the show, Ravi Kieran, uh we're talking about this the other night we were over drinks we we're talking about hard eight in particular and phillips uh, and uh paul thomas anderson and just how he like he does those like whip pans and then and then uh push-ins like really fast like he'll like he'll like move the camera in, a, in, a, in like these ways that you just don't see in, in in a lot of movies you know it's it's sort of like he pioneered this like kind of weird style uh, again, uh, a movie that we should cover at some point is the movie Shortcuts by Robert Altman, which is very much like where Magnolia gets its inspiration. Like Magnolia is basically a could be called Shortcuts Two, and it's just mm. like uh, it is like a web of characters who all kind of are interconnected in different ways. There's a cop character, just like there's a cop character in uh, in Magnolia, but uh, you see Altman's style in Shortcuts, and it really comes through and everything PTA ends up doing. And, and you see it early on in this film, especially at some of like, for example, the opening shot with uh, John C. Riley sitting outside of the coffee shop and Philip Baker Hall kind of coming into frame, like just that like dolly shot of him walking up to him is, uh, you know, it, again, it's not common. It looks yeah. crazy. Cause it's not 
it's doesn't it doesn't happen all the time in films, you know, like people don't usually care that much. You know, if, if a lesser director would just be like, okay, I'm putting the camera on sticks here. We're going to see him over there, you know, walk in a frame and then walk over to him. Then we'll cut to a different shot later. You know, they wouldn't go through all the trouble of just using a dolly or a, or a steady cam, you know, in this, in this very brief moment for this very brief moment of him, just like, approaching John C. Riley sitting on the curb. You know, it doesn't seem like a moment that would necessitate, let's spend a bunch of money. Let's make this thing look really crazy and cool because it's like, like you said, Eric, it's, it's a simple moment, but the whole movie is full of simple moments like that, that are made even better by the way that the film looks. So exactly. Um, okay. So, uh, we talked a little bit about the film was originally titled Sydney. Uh, okay, so the entertainment company, Reicher Entertainment, recut the film and retitled it Hard Eight. Uh, <laughs> this made, uh, this made Paul Thomas Anderson mad, uh, and, and through many talks and deals, he convinced the studio to let him release his cut, but with the new title Hard Eight. Anderson later said the experience taught him that doing your best to make the uh, the best possible movie was only half the job when being a director. The other half was dealing with all of the egos involved. Uh, yeah. So according to, this is a fun, a little fun trivia for you. According to Philip Baker Hall, Philip Seymour Hoffman improvised his scenes, including most of the crap scene, which probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Right. Uh, PTA on the DVD commentary admitted to successfully pulling off the casino rate card trick show shown in the film several times. So I think he was like a card counting guy for a while, which is cool. Yeah, that I'm really fascinated by this because I, I was wondering where the hell the casino stuff came from. Like why, why a casino? Why, why this setting for this particular movie? It seems like, a lot of hassle for not a lot of payoff because it's not like it's not like gambling is that big of a part of the movie at all it really isn't it just it's just like kind of a kind of a gritty setting to put this deeply internal character investigation film <laughs> so that's um, interesting to know that he was like you know uh like a hustler you know kubrick was like a hustler that's cool Yep. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson has rarely commented on the movie since it's released, and it has remained his least known film. By 2015, DVD copies were selling over $100 online. <laughs> uh, Paul, which, by the way, I spent $800 for mine. <laughs> I don't know how much you spent. You can rent it for $2 on Amazon. I don't know why you'd buy it what? for 100 <laughs> I bought it on uh, jeremyschmidt.com. <laughs> well. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to shoot the film in the anamorphic format and even mentioned this in the screenplay. Budget constraints ruled out renting anamorphic lenses. So instead, the film was shot with cheaper spherical lenses in Super 35, which Anderson hated. Mm-hmm. All of his subsequent films have been shot in anamorphic. I got to be honest with you. I don't know enough to <laughs> to tell. Uh, it's like a purer, wider lens. It gives you a better. It gives you a different kind of coverage. Think mm. like uh, westerns, right? That's like oh, I see. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I don't know enough about him either. I just, for some reason, that's my that's my feeling. Can I, let me ask you a question? Do you think Sydney is a better title, or do you think Hard Eight is a better title? Sydney is the name of is Sydney the name of Philip Baker Hall's character? <laughs> yeah, you don't even know. You don't even know the name. <laughs> so I guess Hard Eight is probably the better name then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I was reading in the in the uh, the reason the reason the studio wanted to change it is they were worried people would think the movie was about Australia. That is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I don't know. There's you know there's there's some other trivia about this film, but uh, what, do you, what do you say we dive into the plot? Sure. Okay. Uh, so John C. Riley is sitting down outside of a, a, a cafe. Philip Baker Hall comes up to him and he says, Hey, check out this eight. And, uh, John C. Riley goes, wow, that's pretty hard. <laughs> no, yeah. of course. Okay. So Sydney hilarious from then on out. <laughs> Sydney, a senior gambler, finds a young man, John, formerly sitting outside the diner in Nevada. He offers to give him a cigarette and buy a cup of coffee. Sydney learns that John needs $6,000 to pay for his mother's funeral. Mm-hmm. He offers to drive John to Las Vegas to teach him how to gamble and survive. I kind of like the mother's funeral thing because like you kind of immediately are like sympathetic a little bit for for john c riley's character right yeah yeah it's like it's like an it's like a specific that once you hear it it, you're like it's like it's like if i was to give an example of like Okay, here's a if you want to, if you want your character to be sympathetic immediately, maybe just say he's you know trying to raise money for his mom's funeral. I don't know. Don't use that, but you know something like that. <laughs> That's what yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's like, like don't do something that on the nose, but, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, although John is skeptical at first, he agrees to Sydney's proposal. Um, what do you think is Phil uh, uh, Phil Baker Hall? By the way, what do I think of him? Yeah, he's he's, an he's the master. I mean, he's the best. Yeah. He's like he's one of the well, best. Well, Joaquin of all Phoenix time. is the master, but right. I mean, depending on who you ask, it might be Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah, but no, yeah, I think right. uh, I think Philip Baker Hall is like a uh, he's an is a treasure. He's a national treasure. He's a uh, he's Nixon in uh, Secret Honor, the Altman film. Um, oh great! In fact, a lot of the cast of PTA films are come right from Altman, including Julianne Moore. But uh, yeah, I think he's great. I think that he's real. I mean, I think he's stunning in this film. He's also given a lot to do in this film, right? Like he's arguably the main character of it. This is arguably his film. Uh, and I think this opening scene is absolutely spectacular. You know, it's it's so full of mystery and pathos and energy and, you know, moves in a, in a cool way. And I got to say, even though it's 1997, six when this film uh releases i found the score to be really great in the film like not almost cheesy almost a little too 90s cheesy but it's john bryan and michael penn and i mean give me a break right like those those two guys freaking kill it they're killing and they kill oh, it yeah. in this scene they're they, you know the scene is so it's so punctuated by the score 
it's hard not to just be kind of over overwhelmed by it. Did you like this opening scene? I did. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Big fan. Um, let's see here. And Philip Baker Hall is just like, like, uh, I mean, he's just like America's grandpa. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I was he's reminded like, he was both in Seinfeld and in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He has big roles. Oh, he's in great those. in Curb. Yeah. I honestly, if I was in this situation that John C. Riley's in, I would probably go too. I would be like, if this guy came, Philip Baker Hall comes up to me, this guy, he's such like a nice old man. Yeah. Seems like he's, you know, not up to no good. It's like, sure, whatever you say, sir. He has a uh, second delay response and reaction to everything that gets said to him He in a way that I find really charming. Me too. Um, Two years later, John wins the money and becomes Sydney's protege. Uh, Sydney is calm and reserved and displays a fatherly care for John, who is unsophisticated <laughs> and not overly intelligent. <laughs> I like that they uh, specified that. So we we did skip over him doing the 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 trick, the trick yep. with the. Uh, so can Eric explain to me what is this trick they do? Because I kind of got lost here. I I I, I couldn't really figure <clears throat> it out. So there's some type of card i don't understand it fully either but i think it's like uh this happened to someone i know who worked at a grocery store where um and i think it's similar to this someone i know who works as a cashier at a grocery store um was like a victim of this trick where this guy came up and he was like asked for cash back and then he was like asking for specific bills and was like handing certain bills back and like just like used a bunch of different like math to like confuse my friend <laughs> yeah and ended up walking away with more money i this isn't the same thing in hard eight but it seems like something similar just lo- like i don't know like it's some sort of like overly complicated uh thing like there's a there's a i forget what they call it but there's like a card where he says he's a gambling addict and he wants to like limit the amount that he gambles. Right. So, but then he keeps cashing it in and like getting more chips. I don't fully understand, but yeah, it, was it seems like one of those math tricks where uh, you can kind of pull one over and get a little money. Yeah. And he somehow, I think by getting the floor man involved, it somehow worked in his benefit because then it almost like he almost like called too much attention to himself to where the floor man didn't wouldn't suspect him to be someone trying to rip anyone off yeah you know but yeah anyway so like basically you know that 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 scene happens and then when do we get the two years later thing like does that does that happen pretty much after we get he does that trick Oh yeah, because he's I like he sees so. him later in the hotel room, right? And Sydney yeah. comes in. He's like, "How are you doing, John?" Blah blah blah. blah. You know, whatever. He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I got some money or whatever." And he's like, "Okay, well, it's not going to make you six thousand dollars, but I'll uh, I'll put you in touch with somebody or something. I don't know." And then it's like, "Yeah." So then I guess door closes, and then he's like, "I'm going to go down to gamble." And John's really is like, "Can I come too?" <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, "Yeah." Okay, cool. So now I'm on the trolley. We're two years later. I think, by the way, when they're in the car uh, yeah. in the beginning, like after the diner, 
when they're in the car and uh i love the bit about john c Riley being afraid of matches and we get that flashback of a box of matches just starting on fire just ignites in his pocket you just hear him go yeah (laughs) yeah he's like in line for a movie yeah Um, that's that's so funny also uh that there's a very funny jump cut when john's in the back seat and sydney's driving and then after a couple lines of dialogue he just john just like can you pull over for a second and then you just see him cut to he's now in the front seat yeah uh john has a new friend named jimmy who does security work uh and he is attracted to clementine a cocktail waitress in reno this uh, is john Sydney. who's attracted to clementine right? yes yeah. yep mm-hmm. uh although i believe jimmy says some uh derogatory some sort of like derogatory things yeah. something about her her p word to quote yeah. to quote ben shapiro <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, Sydney meets Clementine and learns that she moonlights as a prostitute and is much less sophisticated than John. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like this character, Clementine. She's got great performance, and you're just kind of like, you feel bad for her. Yeah. But she's just, you can tell she's like, means well. I don't know. She's, I, she's a good character. I yeah, like she her. reminds me a lot of her character in Seven. Um, just mm. sort of like too sweet for this circumstance, kind of, kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like me in this podcast. Right, too sweet, too sweet for the the roughness yeah. that I bring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although Clementine believes that Sydney might want to sleep with her, Sydney wants to build a connection between her and John. Uh, Sydney invites Clementine and John to spend a night together. Uh, after receiving a frantic phone call, Sydney goes to a motel where he finds John and Clementine holding a tourist hostage <laughs> and a client of Clementine's who had refused to pay her three hundred dollars. Um, I I like that we kind of like jump to this and there's this sort of reveal and it's a little suspenseful before we realize what's going on or before they finally tell Sydney what's going on. Yeah. I kind of. I kind of want to see it happen. You know what I mean? Right. Like I want I wanted to see it un, unfold. Maybe like later on or something, but I don't know. I just feel like we missed some some good sort of action there. Yeah, there's a it's shot in such a way that I do feel like was a was a huge success. Like where you know, you get the phone call and then they hold on John C. Riley and Philip Baker Hall at the door. For the longest time, and you can just see Philip Baker's Hall, Philip Baker Hall's reaction to what he sees in the room without showing us, the audience, what's in the room yet. So we don't know yeah. who we think. I think we're supposed to think that it's Gwyneth Peltro who's been killed or something, and mm. and uh, and then at some point he acknowledges Clementine is in the room, and then you know there's the reveal of what's actually happening. It's it's pretty harrowing for a while, and you just see. John C. Riley's performance, you know, he plays a dumb guy so well. Yeah. And you just see his performance where he he breaks down so fast. You know, he's like freaking out, spits coming out of his mouth. It's it's really uh it's really a very well put together sequence. I agree that there is you know, would it be stronger if we got to see a lot of this stuff? Yeah, and would a Paul Thomas Anderson who wasn't working with 3 million dollar budget would yeah, he have showed true. us more? Probably, you know. It's not like he shies away from 
action or special effects or anything yeah. uh, later on. But I think, you know, for, for what we have here, I do like this sequence and I like the predicament that they're in. It's believable to me. But we should kind of read on because we haven't quite gotten to what the predicament is. Right. So let's see here. Uh, Dignan discovers a dilapidated but functional Alfa Romero mm-hmm. spider. Uh, Indignant and Anthony continue. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was looking at my uh, bottle rocket notes. <laughs> oh, man. Never gets old. Uh, John reveals <laughs> that he and Clementine had impulsively gotten married, uh, and she celebrated by selling herself to the tourist for sex. Uh, the tension is heightened because John and Clementine have already called the hostage's wife, threatening to murder him if they do not get the money. Uh, which this is over three hundred dollars, by the way. Right, which he Sydney does point out is yeah crazy. Uh, I also love the way that the sentence is 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 written. John yeah. reveals that he and Clementine had impulsively gotten married, and she celebrated by selling herself to a. This feels like yeah. a, some judgmental prick wrote this. Actually, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, this is definitely a, uh, a a biased Wikipedia plot. Yeah, he's he's calling her <laughs> a a floozy of sorts, uh, which is you know, it may or may not be the case. To be honest with you, what do you make of Clementine's character? Can we can we just kind of take a break and sort of like, you know, digest her a bit? Like, so what do you think her deal is? Because she this is this does seem like a weird move. I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, I mean, obviously, she really needs money, apparently. Yeah, she seems impulsive and kind of needs money. But she also doesn't seem like, like, she seems like John to me. Like, not super bright, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, they both seem like they're kind of dim a little bit. Mm. Not like, you know, because they both, I mean, they're both in this predicament. having convinced each other that this was the correct you know these were the correct choices to make we're gonna kidnap this guy we're gonna blackmail him blackmail his wife for him you know like all this stuff it just seems like they're both they both need a little help like that's the way i interpret clementine is that she's not like a bad person she's not like trying to do anything wrong or hurt john or she just kind of is in a routine and only knows one way to kind of do business or something mm. and gets herself in a, a little bit in over her head. And now that she has John as a protector, she feels a little bit more powerful than she would have maybe felt before. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just, you know, d- would not call her like a whore or something or like a, a bad yeah, person like yeah. like this i feel like this wikipedia is kind of like like making it sound like i think she's i think she just is kind of like doesn't really know another way it's kind of yeah. a little dim yeah this is like someone who uh, like didn't like gwyneth paltrow in high school and is right. just like going through <laughs> and sabotaging her characters on wikipedia oh, man, i can't wait to read the shakespeare in love wikipedia oh man uh okay so they do not have a plan after killing the hostage sydney manages to calm the situation uh advising john and clementine to leave from town for the wedding after the two leave sydney removes the evidence from the motel room 
Sydney confronts Jimmy, who threatens to tell uh, John that Sydney had killed John's father years ago, unless Sydney gives him ten grand. Huge reveal. By the way, this Big was reveal. this this was the reveal we've been kind of waiting for, right? Like, and I don't know how did this twist, the effect of this twist, work on you? Did you appreciate it? Do you kind of wish it came sooner? Do you kind of wish it wasn't there at all? I think it comes at a pretty at a pretty good moment. Yeah, because it worked it, for me. The whole movie, I you are kind of wondering. Like what is going on? Real true. Well, like why is Sydney? Who is Sydney? Who is John? Why is Sydney talking to John? It's two years later. They're still f- having hanging out and being friends. Why on earth is this happening? Yeah, there's that. But for me, it was more like I just didn't even like Sydney. Like he's such Philip Baker Hall is playing such a nice guy, you know. Where I guess it didn't. Cry. I should have been a little bit more like skeptical, but. I was just, it was more for me, it was like this guy who I thought was like such a good character is actually not so good. Bad guy. Bad guy. Yeah. Uh, we also missed um, the, um, I'm pretty sure the Philip Seymour Hoffman scene happens before this yes. moment, which we should probably talk about just briefly. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a a character known as a young craps player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. kind of like a dumb hick <laughs> kind of guy and- He's really loud and obnoxious at the craps table. He's making a lot of high. He's making a lot of bets and you know acting like hot stuff, like a high roller. Sydney comes over and bets a thousand dollars on Philip Seymour Hoffman's role. Uh, mm. That's going to be a hard eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman trying to roll a hard eight. Uh, rolls something less than that. Doesn't roll the hard eight. So uh, Philip Baker Hall loses all of his money, and I guess you can you can kind of understand from Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance, kind of embarrasses Philip Seymour Hoffman, or maybe puts him in his place. What do you make of this scene? What do you think this is about? I I can't tell if they are. Yeah, because he's like, I think he's kind of like calling him an old man too, right? Yeah, he's calling him an old timer a lot for sure. Yeah, I I can't tell if they've had a previous encounters before or something. Like mm. it's kind of it's kind of out of nowhere. Like what what is this guy's deal? Why does he why is he so mean to this old man? I don't know. Maybe uh, it is interesting to see Sidney lose. Um, maybe he's kind of like losing his edge or maybe he himself wasn't really all that great of like a gambler hustler guy to begin with. Maybe. Cause we yeah. don't really see him. We don't really see him do any gambling until that point. Right. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. What do you, what, what's your theory? I, I think this is a, this is like a scene about Sydney coming in and being threatened by a younger person, a younger gambler, mm. and then putting the pressure on that gambler, that young gambler, to win big. And once the young gambler can't do it, Sydney walks away. Even though he lost money, I think he walks away with the understanding that like, t- you ain't shit to the young gambler. 
Like if you were really hot, you would have hit that hard eight. I think that to me, that's what the scene is sort of is sort of showing that like Philip Baker, Philip Baker Hall is a veteran. The veterans. Oh yeah. Know okay. What I got doing. that wrong. Cause Philip Baker Hall didn't bet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, no. So Philip Baker Hall does bet. He oh, bets a thousand dollars that Philip Seymour Hoffman is going to roll a hard eight. Yeah. So he, okay. it's, it's like him saying like, that's kind of how craps works. It's like you're betting cause you, th- you're betting on the person rolling. You're saying like, I think they're going to win money. I think they're going to yeah. hit this number and win money and win big. So he's betting a thousand dollars. Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're going to roll me a hard eight, and Philip Seymour Hoffman can't do it. And I think that's the the moment we see Sydney for the first time sort of flex his muscle, kind of be like put somebody in their place, kind of a kind of a scene. Because if you look at uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's reaction, he's he's like he's like way more calm down. Sorry, old man. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Like, like almost embarrassed. I think it kind of embarrasses him. I don't know. That's my take. I, because for the first time I saw this movie, I had no interpretation of what I thought that scene was about. I could not figure out why that was in the movie. Uh, but this, 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 this rewatch, I kind of left with that vibe. I don't know. Could be, you know, could be anything, but, um, let's see here. They go to Sydney and John Sweet, where Jimmy explains that he is from the back e- uh, from back east, where he heard stories of how Sydney killed John's father in Atlantic City. Sydney gives Jimmy six grand cash, and they part ways. Uh, John calls from a roadside phone. By the way, when they're uh, discussing uh, John and Clementine are you know they're figuring out where they're gonna run off to i love the bit of like john c Riley doesn't want to go to niagara niagara falls because he's been there before <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's really funny yeah uh during the call sydney tells john that he loves him like a son uh sydney sneaks into jimmy's house and kills uh the latter uh in order to get the money uh yeah. the next day Sydney returns to the diner and covers the blood stain with the shirt cuff. With what was that about, by the way? Uh, covering the blood? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think that the the op- the ending of the film is leaves you intentionally with sort of an ambiguous feeling. Sort mm-hmm. of like, I think it's supposed to inspire good conversation around it. So I, I definitely want to know what your interpretation of the ending is, but uh, before that, I do want to mention that Melora Walters plays uh, the girl that uh, Jimmy brings back to his house. So Samuel Jackson brings back a girl to the house. Did you recognize her? No. What's she in? She is in Magnolia as Claudia. Oh, okay. Like I would argue, maybe the main character of Magnolia, the blonde girl Claudia, whose dad is yes. Philip baker hall uh in that film so that's pretty cool because melora walters isn't in a lot of stuff like she's not like a big star or anything but she uh but she's been in the she was in the first three paul thomas anderson films boogie nights magnolia and and heart eight um so yeah, no, give uh give me a uh give me your interpretation of like what is the film about? What does the film mean and this ending? What do you think this ending? Huh. Well, 
I think it's uh hmm. That's a good question. I don't really know. Like I I don't know what it means on like a bigger level other than like sort of a good suspense story. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I like I can't, I can't even think of like any sort of uh sort of a like maybe there's some sort of a like moral uh thing to learn from it or mm-hmm. Philip Baker Hall. Like the the whole movie is basically about Philip Baker Hall trying to, um, I mean, I guess like make up for killing take this over. guy's dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And not even that, but like trying to like to take over, like not take over to like be his dad, but to like try and fill that hole that he created. Right. But like obviously he can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just gets into this weird situation but i don't know i i don't really i don't know do you have any do you have any theories or good interpretations i mean i i think for me the film that's why i feel like the film to me doesn't really work right that that well Uh, because because to be on like nothing really happens in this movie you know like Mm. nothing it's kind of like a circle in a way, right? It kind of just closes itself. It's like Sydney creates a problem that he kind of just ends up solving. And, you know, we don't see what ends up happening, but, you know, it's Vegas, 1996, Vegas. I imagine a guy like Sydney could probably, you know, he's killed John's dad. He could probably get away with this killing of uh, Jimmy or whatever. I don't, I don't necessarily think the film is leads us to believe he's going to get caught for the murder. Uh, so, what is that what is that saying you know what is that about you know is it just a character study could be probably just yeah. a character study i mean and that's and that's fine it could just be a decent character study of some interesting people i don't i don't necessarily know if it runs a heck of a lot deeper than that you know this this character of john you know isn't particularly fleshed out we don't really know john or who john is or what john is is like we kind of know him as just kind of a dope right clementine mm. we get a little bit more from we get a little bit from but i would argue maybe we get about as much as john with her and don't really know who that character is jimmy we get a lot from so we figure out kind of who jimmy is and i actually like jimmy i think jimmy you know he is committing an extortion <laughs> right or blackmail <laughs> yeah but yeah. But he's he's also like, you know, from his point point of view, Sydney, he sh- he killed John's dad. Like, why is Sydney yeah. a good? Why why protect him? Why let him? Why let him go free? Why why does he get to have when I have not? And he's a murderer. You know, I could turn this guy in right now, or if he pays me, if he distributes some of the wealth a little bit, maybe. Maybe you know you can walk free more. You, I think he even says the line like, "What'd you think you could like just murder and nothing was gonna happen to you?" <laughs> like, yeah, like that's wrong. That's not what. That's not how life works. Uh, you know, I think Jimmy's a really compelling character. Um, I think he's like miss miss. Uh, I think there's like a little bit of a red herring with his character where you think he's just kind of like a foul mouth lunatic you kind of think he's just a like a uh, little live wire but yeah. i think he's actually he- deeply principled and i think he he has 
you know, he's taking, he's shooting his shot right now by getting, by getting that money. Sydney to me seems like a murderer <laughs> who, <laughs> who is, uh, who is trying to make up for murdering somebody by, uh, you know, taking John under his wing and, you know, inevitably that up or whatever. The ending is sort of like, uh, to me, maybe it's saying like, like, uh, this is going to sound cheesy, but like there will always be blood, right? There will always be blood on your, on your cuffs. Oh, okay. You'll always, you'll always have that. You can't wash out that stain. It's always going to be there. Um, and no matter what you do, you cannot, you cannot wash away your sins or something of that nature. You know, it's, it's a lot of like, uh, you know, speaking of mafia month, it's a lot of like uh, how these mafia movies end is is similarly. You know, if so, if everyone doesn't get killed, then you're then it's then it's like usually you're left with like De Niro sitting in the in the room in the Irishman at the end. You know, just <laughs> like alone forever, right. like no, no one to visit you. Uh, and that's sort of how Philip Baker Hall's you know character ends. I don't know. Yeah. But to me, I think the movie's just like lacking an L like lacking a bunch of stuff. I don't think it has enough in here to really be considered like a full fledged film. There's not enough information. There's not a, there's no story really. There's not enough, you know, there's not enough, there's not no real plot. There's not nothing to really take you, nothing to really chew on there other, other than, Hey, do you like this character, Sydney that I made up? Um, what about you what is your what do you how do you feel about the film having now seen it i mean you said you saw it like not even that long like but five years ago so yeah i had forgotten most of it yeah um, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah. i weirdly the only scene that i remembered really was the samuel L. jackson uh and uh uh philip baker hall sitting in his car yeah yeah um, but yeah i don't know maybe that is one of the things that that because you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, like, you know, I think about his movies and I think about like, okay, there will be blood, you know, to me, that movie's about greed, you know, uh, what's another, the master that's some, you know, that's maybe a metaphor for like Scientology. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of, there's kind of these like deeper, um, you know, totally. messages or whatever that you can take out of it. And I just don't get that with this movie. And I think, yeah, I think you're, hit the nail on the head with the character study uh, idea. Cause I think that is more mostly what this is. I mean, it's interesting to watch. I did see this movie the, for the first time after having seen, it was like the last Paul Thomas Anderson movie I watched after I'd seen them all. I was like, yeah. all right, I'll do hard eight. And it was right. like good. It, it was a good viewing experience for that. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I can see, you know, I can see some sort of early PTA. I can see what was there from the beginning and what kind of developed uh, through his career. Totally, but, yeah. Yeah, thinking about, like, for me, you know, and I mentioned that this is, it's a very simple story, and it's, I kind of like that in a way. It, it's a simple story, and it, it, um, it you can tell, even though it, it, it does look incredible. Oh, my uh, it God. It looks very good. You could tell it's a first film, you know. You could tell there's a budget, uh, and maybe they want he, he wanted to do 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 more with it. It would be interesting to know what he would have done if he had 
you know, the budget of like the master or something. Totally. If he even would have done a lot, a lot more, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's just, for me, it, it does lack that sort of, uh, that sort of interpretation, interpretive element to it. Um, although I guess that's what we're doing right now is talking about our own interpretations, but which is it good. just leaves I mean, a little the, yeah. less to, it almost f- feels like, uh, I guess this is what I was trying to get at before is it's more like some, some films are just entertainment and that's fine. And some films have a message and that's fine too. Yeah. And I just, picture and maybe the message just went over my head but i just picture when i picture pta i picture like leaving a film and having a lot to think about and having an idea of like okay i know i think i know what i think that means whereas this sure. i was just like i liked watching a young john c Riley, and i yeah. liked watching <laughs> gwyneth paltrow and yeah so i think i just liked it for that i do i do think this is maybe one of the funnier pta movies I think some funny. of the humor in this is is pretty pretty great, um, and a lot of it comes from uh, John C. Riley. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess talking through it, I think I think I have less of a. I think maybe I let this movie is a little less. I mean, it's kind of always been towards the bottom for me. May possibly the lowest. Yeah. My least favorite PTA, but. Yeah. Jeremy, what would you say? So we're doing a ranking system. If this is oh your first time boy. listening, we oh do uh, oh. four out of four Chucky freckles. Four is the best, uh, and we could do you know we could do halves and quarters, I suppose, if we want. But Jeremy, I want to know four out of four. What do you give Hard Eight? Okay, before I answer this, what did yeah. I give the other two movies? So we did shopping. <laughs> <laughs> do you have it written down? Yeah, you gave shopping 1.5 out of 4. 1.5 out of 4. Okay, and I gave Bottle Rocket... 3.5. 3.5? Yep. Okay, this gets a... This gets a... 3. 3 out of... Uh, th- th- I'm going to do 2.75. 2.75. Okay, 2.75. Uh, 3, 3.5 out of 4... You know, uh, I'm gonna do the same thing. I think that's I think that's the right thing to do. I think 2.75 <laughs> is, is good. That is the it right is like, thing to do. You're it's right. It's not a three. It's yeah. That is yeah. the only <laughs> correct decision. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so stupid to be like ranking, like rating Paul Thomas Anderson movies. But no, it de- he deserves what it. What the hell? He deserves. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. We're co- we're coming for you. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, that for this film because I I think that it's. This film is so emblematic of the 90s, right? Of a certain kind of independent cinema that came out of the 90s, which was, you know, here's not really a story. It's sort of a story character study hybrid with an elusive ending to it mm. or or maybe not enough, not quite enough meat on the bones to really play with the big dogs, but, you know is still sort of stunning in its own way. I'm thinking of films sort of like, uh, like, I don't know. What's the, like the suicide Kings. Remember that movie? Uh, no, I don't actually. Or like, uh, to live and die in LA is another one. There's, there's, there's a lot of films like this that are like, 
it's kind of a crime movie. It kind of just has a cool vibe to it, but doesn't really mm. go anywhere, do anything. You know, and, and a film doesn't necessarily have to have meaning to be to be about something. You know, like like for example, like you could kind of play like, well, what does this film mean to like every film? And you might struggle to actually answer those questions because they're hard questions yeah. to answer, you know. But I think like you know, if you look at Boogie Nights, it's like okay, that's a, that's about celebrity. It's like about mm-hmm. uh, the the pitfalls of celebrity, fame. And fame yeah, Hollywood. Magnolia is about how you know uh, humans and connectivity. How we're all connected, yet we're all so far apart. You know how, um, you know, we're connected by our stories. Stories connect us. Weird shit connects us. You're very right. I think There Will Be Blood is about greed and capitalism. You know, uh, yep. Punch Drunk Love is about is about isolation and loneliness, you know, like what is hard eight about? And it's, it is, it's tough because I don't know if it has a thing. It fathers, it might be about fathers might be about like dads, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, not, not, Uh, not quite of the caliber of these, uh, of the other films in his filmography, but such an interesting little seedling that he grew from. Jeremy, anything to plug before we sign off here? Nah, just hit up that Patreon. Seriously, October is fun month. October is the month to get involved and honestly to stay involved. We got a good community going on over there. So sign up and uh, we'll we'll give you a, a scare. Uh, next week we'll be back to Paul W. Sanderson. We're we're we're, we're finally doing it. Mortal Kombat, yeah! 1995. Get over uh, here! Yeah, oh yeah! Can't wait to talk combat with you mm, and talking uh, combat. <laughs> talk talking combat. Uh, and Norma, see you in my dreams. 